T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. You ever been to a game and wondered, how do I get on the Jumbotron? Kids always trying to get the attention of those cameras. They want to be on that Jumbotron. Makes their day. Well, we've got the master of getting on the Jumbotron. David DeLooper set out to get on the Jumbotron 30 different NBA games in 30 days. And he is documenting this on Instagram. Follow them. 30 for 30 for 30. A terrifically entertaining Instagram feed. And David will give us that master class and how to get on the Jumbotron in just a couple of minutes. It's a Thursday home and home. We're brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Check them out. ZipRecruiter.com, the smartest way to hire in 2020. I'm Dave Briggs, home of Connecticut. Ross Tucker is in Pennsylvania, and the baseball sign-stealing scandal continues and continues to marinate throughout the sport and resonate through different cities. And now the biggest question this morning is, will the New York Mets fire Carlos Beltran? Beltran was the only player mentioned in the report on the Astros sign-stealing scandal and one of the, the masters who figured out this system along with Alex Cora. But the deal is nobody, as far as players are concerned, have been punished. Maybe that's because the Players Association. So why, in fact, should Carlos Beltran be fired by the Mets if no other players are being punished? My biggest problem with this story is there's no accountability on the players. Almost no talk about Altuve and Bregman and Springer and these guys that either cheated or knew their team was cheating and did nothing about it and won a World Series that way. Can't necessarily say that about the Red Sox players yet that won the 2018 World Series, but once we learn that investigation... We're going to out those players as well and talk more about them because it's these grown men that did this. There should be less talk about A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora and more talk about the players that pulled this crap off. Ross Tucker, some interesting words from a former Astros manager, Phil Garner, on Sports Radio 610 in Houston. Want to get your reaction to what he said yesterday about this scandal. Listen. So, Phil, Mike Fires was the one who initially blew the whistle to the athletic on this whole thing. Mike Fires pitches for the Oakland A's. The Oakland A's play the Astros 19 times each season. Inevitably, Mike Fires is going to face the Astros this year. Obviously, he's not going to step into the batter's box against the Astros, so maybe it's a moot point because of the designated hitter. But what? how do you think Mike Fires is being viewed in this whole thing by the Astros. If you were with the Astros now, how are you looking at Mike Fires? And do you think Mike Fires ends up getting any sort of um, any sort of uh, unwritten rule retribution in this whole thing? No, I don't. That that's kind of going out the window in baseball. The, the fact that you retaliate, the unwritten rules kind of thing that's that's been lost uh, in the culture. Uh, I I think that he'd be viewed as a rat. Okay, if it was a big deal for you, why didn't you bring it up while you were the Astros? Why didn't you step up and stop it? You're going to wait until you go another team. You're going to enjoy the fruits of the of 
if there's any success being had by cheating, you're enjoying that while you're the Astros. Then when you go away, uh-uh, I don't like that anymore. So to me, that's uh, that's not a very good standard. And I think most baseball players will look at it that way. Phil Garner, former Astros manager on Sports Radio 610 in Houston, calling Mike Fires the whistleblower on this entire scandal and the reason we are here today. Phil Garner calls him a rat. I call him the only person with any integrity in this entire process, Ross, and you. Well, but how would you address Phil Garner's point about that if he had that much, I mean, if he had that much integrity, why didn't he do it while they were doing it? He was a pitcher. He was a pitcher, and they feel like sometimes pitchers are on another island. That's why they stand out there and they sit in the bullpen. And I'm certain it was something that was eating away at him each and every day when he saw his teammates cheating and knowing that his brothers on other teams were getting cheated out there on the mound each and every time they stood out there and wondered, how the fuck did they hit that pitch? That was a perfect pitch. Look, and I also don't understand how Garner can feel sorry for A.J. Hinch and talk about how great a character he is. He's the leader of these men that, yes, didn't like what was going on and sometimes pushed back against it, but no one could have stopped this situation easier than the very manager that Phil Garner feels sorry for. Stop me with your fucking hypocrisy, Garner. Um, well, listen, let me take a step back. First of all, for fires... It's like he was cool benefiting from it when he won a World Series. Well, how do you know that? Because he didn't say anything. Well, it's not that easy. You can't sit here and say he was cool with it. He may not have been. He may may have been struggling with it. He was cool with it in the sense that he was cool with it in the sense that he didn't say anything about it. He was cool enough with it, right? I mean, he was cool enough with it, okay enough with it that he didn't say anything on his way to winning a World Series ring. Now that he goes to another team, and now that he has to pitch against them, now he's going to be like, oh, no. And and by the way, I, I, I don't blame him for not wanting them to be doing it when I'm pitching if I'm him. But really, he could have just told his new teammates, and he could have just known, look, they're going to be stealing your signs. They got this camera. He could have just made sure his new teammates were aware of it and not gotten this whole thing going out at everybody. I do think it's interesting, by the way, that he did this publicly, Dave. Like, is it, wasn't there, isn't there like an anonymous way he could have done this so that he didn't get his name out there like this? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm very surprised by that. Absolutely, he could have certainly been a an anonymous whistleblower and called someone in the league office and started this investigation. Um, but I also wonder, it, it doesn't, appeared to me that Major League Baseball was eager to do anything about this. I'd be stunned if Mike Fires blowing the whistle to the athletic was the first thing Major League Baseball heard about this shit. There is no way, man. The NFL puts people in every stadium and every game in, in dressing up as fans to try to check out the experience. You're telling me Major League Baseball never once heard garbage cans being banged on at odd times right before guys hit home runs. That's a bunch of bullshit. I can't tell if Mike fires though, ultimately helped clean up the game 
or did he hurt the reputation of the game further? Yeah, I would say it's, well, I, I think it's both, but I would say it's more the latter. I would say it's more like, oh my gosh, that's why the Astros won it. That's why the Dodgers didn't win it. That's why the Red Sox won it the next year. I almost feel like, Dave, on some level, it'll be like what I talked about earlier in the show with NASCAR, which is like the next team to win the World Series. It'll be like, I wonder what they figured out. I wonder how they're cheating. That's bad. When you get to that point where people believe that the only way you really become the winner is if you cheat somehow and you have some edge, that's not where you want to be as a sport. Because then all of the other teams can justify whatever edges they take by saying, hey, we're just trying to level the playing field. Yeah, and it, and it's a sport that's already struggling with, with integrity issues and with attracting new fans and the ratings are down. There's a lot of, of bad news coming baseball's way, and this just makes things more difficult for them. And that's why some feel that the New York Mets have no choice but to move on from their manager, Carlos Beltran, as I mentioned, the one player mentioned in the report who, along with Alex Cora, the bench coach of the managers, helped devise the system. Here's our friends at WFAN on what should happen with Beltran. Do you think Carlos Beltran should still be the Mets manager after what we learned yesterday? Uh, Yeah. I think that he should be, and I think that he will be. If he was some faceless kind of dude that maybe most people couldn't pick out of a lineup, then I think that it's an easier sell for the Mets, and they can say, listen, this guy, you know, was not forthright with us from the beginning or whatever, and we're going to take a stand here. We're going to go a different direction. This is Carlos freaking Beltran. What are they going to do? I would not fire Carlos. Right. I can't even I, believe I, it's a I conversation. Right, and, I, and I'm with you on that because he was a player. If the Mets knew about Carlos Beltran's involvement prior to the hiring cycle, would they have taken him seriously as a candidate? This is not a Mets cheating scandal. This does not stick to the Mets one way or the other. For me, for the way I look at it, this is a Beltron issue. And, and I know people lie all the time, all the day. He was flat out asked about it and painted a rosy picture of what transpired down in Houston. And we know basically he was the one that streamlined the cheating down in Houston. It'd be one thing if he was he was doing it as a player, right? He was helped streamlining it. It'd be another thing if really he was the guy in charge of the Houston Astros. The, then he was in charge of the Mets and he wanted to put this type of scheme in. Like, I think about it this way, oh, right? Then, yeah. then it would be over. If you're one of these people that says Carlos Beltran absolutely needs to be punished for this and it's up to the Mets to do that, and Major League Baseball needs to go back and they need to punish Carlos Beltran for it and every other player that was involved. Because just because he retired and got a managerial job doesn't mean that he needs to be punished more. Now the question now in terms of restoring his credibility, that's gone. I mean, Carlos Beltran was part of it uh, just as Cora was, as Hinch was, as every one of those players who remained silent down there in Houston. They were all part of it. So that goes out the window. Our friends, WFAN in New York, check them out on the radio.com app. I agree with that prior take from Boomer Esiason. Why should Beltran be the one player who was punished here because he decided to retire and become a manager? Quick thought, do you think they should fire Beltran? I don't think they should fire Beltran, but it's a bad look for the Mets 
because it's almost like, well, the Astros wouldn't stand for it and the Red Sox wouldn't stand for it, but the Mets are okay with it. The difference is he didn't do anything with the Mets and he presumably won't do anything with the Mets. So I don't think he should be fired, but I do think it's a little bit of a PR problem. It is a massive PR problem, and spring training is just a couple of weeks away, and it's the New York media who will not stop badgering them about this story. So they better figure it out, and they better figure it out fast and come out with one strong statement. Here's what our decision is. They've got a guy, Steve Cohen, worth $13 billion, who is uh, coming into the ownership group. I would expect he may have the final word on this moving forward. We move forward with one of the most entertaining Instagram feeds today. It's 30 for 30 for 30. What is that? That is one fan, 30 Jumbotrons, 30 NBA games, 30 days. How in the world does one pull that off financially in terms of the travel? And how about the costumes? David DeLuper joining us now the brilliant genius behind 30 for 30 for 30. Are you a lobster today or a crawfish? What's the costume, brother? Yes, today I am a crawfish. I am actually in New Orleans, and I'm going to be going to the Pelicans game tonight. Oh, you just missed the uh, Zion debut, which happens next week. So here we are on this journey. Um, Started on Christmas Day. Why did you decide you want to get on the Jumbotron at 30 NBA games in 30 days? Where'd this idea come from? Sure. So the idea, it's been developing for about a year now, to be honest. And the biggest thing is whether your team's winning by 20 or losing by 20. If you see that one person that gets on the Jumbotron, they can change the entire atmosphere of the arena. So I thought that was so cool and I, I had to give it a shot. I uh, figured out the formula to kind of do it, and I've just been trying to to go 30 for 30 for 30 so far. What What is the formula? Sure. it's a, I guess it's a self-developed formula, but there's a couple steps. Uh, one is you got to sit in the lower bowl, preferably a corner opposite of the team bench. This is because the cameramen are kind of tethered to that corner. Uh, second thing is you have to wear – clothing of that team so as a result i've been able to wear a jersey or hat of every team and that just helps you get on the jumbotron to to show your support and then the other step is you got to have a costume or something kind of kind of stick out and and have energy you know everybody that's a cameraman wants to see that person that kind of has that extra energy so that's it and then uh the fourth thing is kind of have some subpar dance moves that's that's another big thing i'm i'm a terrible terrible dancer but i have fun and and hopefully that shines through and and so far we're 22 for 22 getting on the jumbotron 22 for 22 you've been to philly and brooklyn and boston and dc and denver salt lake philly new york miami orlando atlanta la toronto it goes on and on and the costumes are brilliant uh, talk about that angle and how do you devise costumes for each and every game? Where do you get them? How much are you spending on the costumes? Sure, sure. So the costumes, the goal is to kind of resonate with that local fan base. Um, so, for example, in New Orleans, therefore, I am a crawfish tonight. As you can see in Brooklyn, I was also a hot dog and, you know, with Coney Island and, of course, the, the famous Nathan's hot dog eating competition. But for me, the costumes... Really, I got them the day after Halloween. Um, I went to Spirit Halloweens. I went to Party Cities. And I just kind of flooded their clearance aisles and made it happen there. 
And then there's been a couple, uh, I guess, uh, a couple emergency party city runs, you could say, uh, for a wig or, or sunglasses or a cape or something. Just to, you know, if I if I accidentally didn't ship something in the right direction or, or whatnot. So it's been a uh, it's been a grind, and it's been one of the more fun things about this journey is finding the costumes, choosing them, and then uh, taking pictures of some of the fans. It's it's been cool. All right, David, uh, where are you from? So originally I'm from New Jersey, which I think is the best state in America, but I currently live in Philadelphia. Okay. And what, what do you do for a living? If you don't mind me asking. Sure. I, I do have a full-time job. I do communications for an energy, energy drink company. And, uh, I had a bunch of paid time off and I was able to kind of take a small leave of absence. And, and here I am now. How long is the leave of absence? So the last day of the trip is January 23rd, and then I start that Monday following it. So I was able to take off essentially from Christmas Day to January 23rd, so about a month. Okay, and like Dave asked you about the costume, how much are you spending on this whole thing? Sure, I mean, to be honest, it's been a, a pretty scrappy trip. Um, I started the planning process, I think it was August 10th, or August 13th, whenever the MBA schedule came out, because that's when I needed to logistically plan out the map, like the route and the maps. And really the biggest thing is we try to fly to one area and then drive with a rental car to save money. But in total, when you book a flight on Spirit, you know, three, four months in advance, it's, it's only $45 round trip. Um, so really it's been a scrappy trip. And if you look right now, I'm in a, a friend's house. A lot of it has been staying with friends, with family, with all that. So it hasn't been a, a, a big investment yet, to be honest. A few thousand dollars, I'd say. So your Instagram feed is a huge hit. Uh, the Philly appearance, 90,000 views. MSG was 71,000 views. Minnesota, 80,000 views. Is that why you did this for Instagram fame, or is there another reason that motivated you? Sure. It, it kind of comes back to I love NBA. I love the basketball. Like, I love basketball. For me, I played soccer my whole life. I played soccer in college. And after I played, after I graduated, there was a tough transition of kind of being an athlete to, I guess you could say, quote unquote, retiring. So as a result, I started playing pickup basketball. And, and that's where I made my friends. And then I started to learn about the NBA and I started to fall in love with it. And for me, I learned throughout this trip, I always knew I wanted to go to 30 NBA games in 30 days and, and do that challenge. But for me, the biggest part about this trip is I understand the NBA is more than the players or the product on the court. It's about the fan bases. It's about the arenas. It's about the front offices that really make the environment for the fans. So that's been the coolest part of this journey. All right. So do you now alert the team somehow, or do you say on Instagram what the next stadium is or arena you're going to? Yeah, so it, it's kind of picked up and it's gotten some momentum, which is really exciting. So I've had people reach out from teams being like, hey, where are your tickets? You know, uh, do you need tickets? All that. So, for example, I had a, a mascot of a team actually direct message me on Instagram saying, hey, I have some tickets if you want. Um, let me know. So it's been kind of funny like that. And, and luckily, the NBA community has been so supportive. Uh, we ended up my buddy posted about us on Reddit actually a few weeks ago. And because of that, we got a ton of direct messages saying, Hey, I have tickets to the Detroit Pistons. Do you need any, do you need a place to stay? Can I take you guys out for dinner? We unfortunately denied a lot of those just because there were some odd requests, but 
the NBA community has been really supportive. And especially since people have found out about it, everybody's been great. All right. So what will you do if you go somewhere and you don't get, how many more do you have to do? Eight more games right now. We're 22 for 22 of getting on the jumbotron. All right. So what will you do if you don't get on the jumbotron at one of these places? Yeah, it's a, it's a fair question. And for me, I'm still just having a great time day by day. If I don't get on the Jumbotron, I'm still going to try to go 30 for 30 for 29 or, or whatnot. Like, the fact is, I've wanted to go to every NBA game and every NBA arena, so I'm going to keep doing that. And if the Jumbotron happens, great, and I would be excited for it. But regardless if I get on the Jumbotron or not, I'm still going to complete the 30 days and 30 NBA games. I would imagine doing this, and it's 30 for 30 for 30 on Instagram. He's David DeLooper. That, that doing this is a wonderful way to see the country and to check out different atmospheres at different games. What's been the, the coolest experience for you in the first 22? Sure. It's um, hands down. It was going to the Staples Center on January 5th. Ended up going to the Clippers game at 1230 and then the Lakers game at 7. And to see the Clippers and what they put on the court and their atmosphere and their fan base and then seven hours, see what see the stadium turned around and see the Lakers and LeBron and AD play, it was a dream. Um, both atmospheres and fan bases are so different. And, and the fact is, we got to see them in the same day within, you know, seven, eight hours of each other. So that was the coolest thing. And uh, it's tough to say, though, some arenas were looking at them on a Monday night versus a Friday or Saturday night. So it, it's very each atmosphere is very different. And be honest here. What's the worst experience? What was the worst fan atmosphere at the first 22? Oh, man. So I I will be honest <laughs> with you guys. I think uh, uh, I, I appreciate every NBA team and, and what every NBA team has to offer. I think we didn't see the Brooklyn Nets on a, on a great day. So I would say that was the second day of the trip. But uh, yeah. The Brooklyn Nets was the worst fan experience. And elaborate on that. What made it so bad? Um, I, I think we saw them, you know, the, the day after Christmas. It was a little bit of tough of an environment. Uh, they focused more um, kind of on the celebrities as opposed to a little bit of the fans. But uh, we also saw them play the Knicks. So there's a lot of Knicks fans there, which was tough. You know, it's a, it was a big game for them to see the Knicks versus the Nets. But it seemed like there was more Knicks fans in the arena. Okay, and one final question, and we have some music. I'm a bad dancer, too. So we're going to play a little music, and I want you to kind of teach me the moves. How would I get on the Jumbotron if I had a, a crawfish suit? All right, so let's, yeah. let's hit a little bit of music, bring it up as we go. Teach me the moves. Sure. So I'd say the first thing is you just raise the roof a little bit, you know? All right, raise all right. Raise the roof a little bit, right? Let's take a single shot at the cameraman. Point at the cameraman. And then okay. spread your okay. arms out. And then do, do another point. You know? Really, really make that connection with the cameraman. And then you can also, with your tweezers, you know, with your claws, just smile a little bit, you know? And then. <laughs> okay, a okay. Pump. Yep. And then a little fist pump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A little pump, you know? And then back to the point. Okay, let me see if I got get, it. So if you get real lucky, you can stand up a little bit and do a spin. Oh, a little spin. Hold on, show me yeah, the spin, spin again. Yeah, a little spin. And then one more spin. Oh, look at that suit. And then 
and then uh, and then with that, it, it should be successful. It, it should be uh, you should have enough to get you to get you on the jumbotron. <laughs> it's the razor roof. It's the point. It's the arms out. It's the pinchers. I love it. David DeLuper just taught us jumbotron 101. College professor might be your next great career <laughs> choice. We really enjoy the journey, David. Check them out, 30 for 30 for 30 on Instagram. Best of luck, eight more games. Love to talk to you after the journey is concluded. Thank you, sir. Enjoy Nolens and the crawfish suit. Uh, thank you guys for having me. I really, really appreciate it. And fingers crossed we go 30 for 30 for 30. <laughs> I love it, brother. Thanks a lot. Hi, everyone. This is Dave Briggs. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home Podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. exclusively on the Radio.com app or at Radio.com slash home. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.